T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. All three engines up and burning. 2, 1, 0. And liftoff, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue three, the dream. 2, 1, zero, zero, and liftoff. Liftoff. Americans return to space as Discovery clears the tower. Liftoff of mission 41D, the first flight of the orbiter Discovery, and the shuttle has cleared the tower. All right, we want to welcome you back to episode two of uh, our space episodes. Um, it's Jeremy here. And Robert. Hanging looking, out. Looking forward to, um, as you can maybe guess from the beginning intro here, we're talking about like the space programs and rockets and that sort of stuff. And it's uh, always intriguing to me. Uh, I just growing up in the 80s, we had the space shuttle, the dawn of the space shuttle that kicked off, I think it's around 81. And so not only did you have uh, prevalence of the 1978 release of Star Wars, but like everybody, all kids, I think, that were in my age group were really getting into space and space travel and fantasy of space, even though all that fantasy stuff did exist in the past with your Buck Rogers and uh, things of that. But the the thing that I think we started focusing on was Star Wars coming out. You got so involved in space, but then all of a sudden you see the for real thing mm -hmm. and the space shuttle and and what had happened there. And then you come out with the movies and everything, other movies that actually depict what had happened uh, back in the day before us. Like as we were growing up, I didn't really pay attention to what was going on with the Gemini or Apollo or well, I mean, I wasn't growing up then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these things were coming in on the cusp. But, you know, what I did experience, I guess, is um, like the Viking, which you probably know nothing about. Um, and there was a few others. Skylab, I think that was something that was pretty prevalent um, in my youth. But all these other programs, the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo missions, were all before my yeah, time. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You can tell how much more you know about this by the fact that you made a distinction with, like, the shuttle program, which you said starts in, what, you said 81 or mm -hmm. in the 80s? It was 81. Mm -hmm. But, like, when I'm thinking space, like, I know we went to the moon in, like, 69. So, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, well, hold on. Wait, you're saying that this program started after they went to the moon? But, you know, and when you really look at it, like the space program itself didn't even get started officially. Like NASA wasn't even NASA until 1958. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and, and a lot of people are thinking because of that speech that John F. Kennedy uh, made, I think a lot of people associate with the fact that, well, John F. Kennedy started NASA. It wasn't him. It was Eisenhower, actually, yeah. who, uh, I, I think there was, and let me see if I can get this right. It was, uh, because before NASA, they had based everything on what was already there, which was the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, the NACA. Uh, and then when Eisenhower <laughs> deemed all this, it became NASA, which was the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. But they took all the uh, indoctrines and everything that NACA had and applied it to NASA. Uh, so they had sort of the thing already there. Yeah. They just kind of beefed it up. And the fact that you kicked off this space race, which was one of the things that I didn't really get to experience either. I, I guess I was coming in on the tail end of it yeah. um, where they made good, which I'll tell you about in a second. Mm -hmm. But but it all started with the Russians. The Russians started it. Um, Sputnik 1 uh, gets into space. They are actually winning and beating us at just about everything. Not only did Sputnik 1 in the same year, 1957, but Sputnik 2 
went into space in that same year, probably towards the latter half of the year, but it had a dog. So they had the first living thing going into space. So they beat us in that. There's a lot of things that Russians were really um, getting up to us and just like whooping us. And so we were able to come back in 1958. We uh, launched Explorer 1. We launched Explorer 2, I want to say, in that same year. It was towards the latter half. And then SCORE was launched, and that was also in 1958, and that was the first communication satellite. So we at least won on the communication satellite mm-hmm. thing. But all this started going together, and then it was just, you know, this and that. Them sending, uh, I think it was Gargarian, was one of the first, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, yeah, one of the first human beings to be in space. We yeah. countered that. Uh, John Glenn eventually gets to orbit the Earth, but yeah. the Russians had already done that. Yeah. So, you know, it was just this big thing. Well, I, to kind of go on the Sputnik thing for just a second, um, and, and we talked about in the first episode um, when we're talking about the universe and space, like our perception of size and stuff, we, we don't really fathom it. And so one of the things I remember being at the, uh, and you would love this, the National Infantry Museum there at Fort Benning. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's several things, obviously, talk about Cold War era. And I remember reading this little thing and actually took a picture with my phone because I was fascinated by it. But it was a Soviets launch Sputnik 1, you know, October 4th, 1957. But I didn't know that it was only the size of a basketball. It weighed only 183 pounds. It took about 98 minutes to orbit the Earth. Um, And that was obviously, that was the first, the world's first artificial satellite. When I hear... You know, when the history class, when people will talk about people were so worried that Sputnik was spying on them, like, I guess I just took for granted. I pictured like the the big like Hubble telescope and all that kind of we get these massive things floating around in outer space now. Right. I had not considered that Sputnik was literally the size of a basketball. Yeah, not that big at all, but intimidating <laughs> yeah. in the world factor of things. Yeah, small and, thing's and a big Not deal. only freaking people <laughs> out, and it hurt Woody's Roundup. Oh. If you remember that, the, because of Sputnik. The ratings tanked on Woody's Roundup and then led to Buzz Lightyear. Um, but yeah, so many different things. Digging what, deep, digging yeah, deep yeah. into the intellectual well, study. Just here. throwing them out there. you got to throw a Toy Story reference every once in a while if my kids are listening. So, uh, But, you know, I, I like what I saw and what I ran into because I didn't. I guess I didn't really realize the whole buildup. And I watched some great movies that went into there's, – there's a lot of uh, – a lot of different documentaries out there, and one that was based on a book that was pretty much, I'm sure it was embellished quite a bit mm-hmm. for, for the movie's sake, but the right stuff, the original one, and I want to say that was maybe early to mid-late 80s, something like mm-hmm. that, when it came out, uh, not only was that the first movie to ever have an intermission uh, in between, other than your Monty Pythons that just make fun of that, but um, but that was the first movie I think I watched with an intermission in it because it was just so long, but it covered so much material in dealing with the astronauts that were uh, preparing to be like the first ones put in space. Um, but Mercury, I, I, just looking back and seeing the buildup, it was pretty ingenious and methodical and slow-paced, but it was what America had to do to make things right. The Mercury mm-hmm. program was all set up with the with the thing of just orbiting the earth in the first place like getting a vehicle up there getting man into space and then recovering man from space like getting them down that was the big thing for mercury with mm-hmm. one person in the rocket uh, or on top of this rocket basically and getting them out there and they were taking like World War II rockets and strapping people on top of them essentially yeah. is what it boiled down to and hurling them into space and hoping for the best. I mean, you had all these engineers that were putting forth 
some of the greatest works. If you've ever, if you've ever seen, uh, like we we go to the Huntsville Space and Rocket Center yep. because it's convenient mm-hmm. for us, and you get to see the intricacies of these engines, and it looks like like. You know, you think a transmission is complex when you see someone trying to put together a transmission, when you see the guts all spilled out. That's like times a thousand when you're looking at all these small parts and pieces that all come together. The engineering and all these were tremendous, and it shows just how smart our nation can be if applying for something which was— and I guess you're looking at the fact that there's a little saving grace for the U.S. at this point. We're coming off World War II. Uh, You got a little bit of the Cold War— that's going on as far as the mm-hmm. between the Russians and the Americans. But then all of a sudden you get this space race that kind of deters everybody and takes everybody away from what had just happened. And it has them focused on something a little bit better. Yeah, maybe instead of all those technological advances that were being made for, you know, war, now all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, if we're not going to shoot missiles at each other, maybe we should just shoot at the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but not kill the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and then you got the Gemini program that comes along. Well, that's when you integrate two astronauts, so they took it up a notch uh, in the progression of things. And longer flight time, they were looking at docking for the first time uh, to practice that because they knew they were going to have to do that. Uh, that was going to be one of the main parts as far as getting the lunar lander and the uh, the capsule and everything, the command uh, module together was docking process uh and then again re-entering with a little bit bigger and more people Mm -hmm. coming in yeah and and that was phenomenal and then you break into the apollo program and the apollo program is when it's getting to the point now we're not only well you know a minor setback at the beginning or a major setback in the beginning uh of the apollo when the apollo one essentially burned Mm. uh, and the three astronauts were locked inside they couldn't get out um so you have that i mean a a disaster that sets back the program for two years uh i did not know that the russians had the same problem now they did not lose the people before they went into space they lost their astronaut on the way back down the parachutes didn't deploy oh no and he came down and and was killed Mm. so they actually halted all their moon program and everything. That pretty much put them away. They gave up on it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the U.S. said, you know, I understand this is a horrible, horrific thing, mm-hmm. but we've done so much, we've got to press on so yeah. that we can do this. We have to endure. Mm-hmm. And so they kept on going. When Like two years later, they start coming back with more, a safer program, things that they had learned. And then next thing you know, not only are we orbiting the moon, but then we're landing on the moon and having six successful lunar landings, which was just unbelievable, the amount of information they were able to get and the things that they got. And then the, the visuals that they got were just amazing. So, you know, you get all that going on with the Apollo programs. And then you have the year that I'm around, because I was born in 71. So 73, you got Vikings and the Viking program which I thought was always interesting. That was the first uh, Mars lander. I don't know if you know about that, but the Vikings actually landed, and they had a they had pictures that they were able to get um, of the landings of the Vikings. There was a Viking one and a Viking two. I want to say Viking one was around seventy six, maybe or seventy maybe seventy three or seventy six was when the Vikings, and then Skylab, which was huge in my time. Because that was your space station. All these things that you saw in movies dealing with space stations, this was the beginning. Now, it wasn't a permanent thing, but one of the things that it did do, and one of the things that I got to see, I guess, uh, and, and I don't really recall it right off the top of my head, but in 1975, 
the Russian Soyuz and the American Geminis both docked into the space station that they had up there, the STS, and shook hands and basically ended the, the space race because everyone was then on the same page. Everyone was working together, and I thought that was kind of neat. And then, like we said, 1981, the space shuttle comes around. You've got the Hubble Space Telescope. You've got the ISS, which had started way back when. The Russians started that. Okay. But the ISS was the International Space Station, and it's been building uh, basically since 93. Mm-hmm. has been building up and everything. Um, and, and that's where we're at today. You still have the ISS that's being run. Uh, even when our American program, uh, as far as NASA, was down because of budget cuts and everything, they were working with the Russians and sending American astronauts with the Russians up there in their modules to be able to have people in the space station. So I thought that was kind of cool how we're all working hand-in-hand and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially I know that there's been a lot of talk here in the last couple of years as private companies have entered this industry, I guess you would say, as as they've been developing their own, you know, SpaceX and what's Blue Origin, and I know there's a third one out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're... They're now that they're kind of doing their own thing. They're talking about how much like NASA has been spending to borrow basically Russian space shuttles. We haven't had we haven't been sending our own people into space. I know that was a big deal here just a couple months ago when they did. When hey, this is the first time that we've sent people from America without sending them through the Russians. But we've been working with them. Well, and I think like your Elon Musk's and all that have teamed up. They saw the opportunity where they could make money by creating, getting the best engineers, paying all this money of their own, you know, capital, and putting that out there where you had the best, I mean, landing a rocket that has already gone up into space was unheard of, I yes. think. Yes, so I And remember, seeing that kind of stuff is phenomenal. I remember thinking when all that happened, I remember being so, uh, like, watching that SpaceX launch, and I, I was mesmerized because what I was really impressed with, like, and even going back through every step of these space programs since it started, I'm so fascinated by people's ability to think outside the box, to um, consider potential variables and address them, and again, just getting someone to space is great. Obviously, we want to be able to get them back, and now, not only are we bringing people back safely, but we basically have reusable rockets, right? So now, you're spending millions and millions of dollars on something and you've pretty much taught it to land um and i just think it's uh interesting and then obviously here um just back on july 20th right the basically richest dude in the world was able to <laughs> go up to space with his brother and a couple other people i think the youngest and the oldest astronauts now right um and and with uh, jeff bezos the uh, amazon guy and so uh you know the fact that that it's becoming more accessible is interesting. Um, I saw a really cool thing on uh, one of the social media sites here not too long ago, and it was talking about like we don't we don't take for granted like how fast things have moved, but you know, but like between discovering flight, right, building an airplane, the Wright brothers, and you know, landing on the moon, it's like sixty six years. Like that's that's some big giant strides, and oh, it's yeah. been what sixty? It's been over sixty since. Right, right. My, my, I'm trying to do quick math in my head. I guess I should have just done the math. But it's been it's been almost that time since, and it doesn't seem like. I guess we're getting closer with like reusable rockets and stuff like that. Obviously, some of the stuff we've done, um, where 
like we've got video and audio from Mars rovers and even beyond. Yeah, um, the technology factors of everything that we got, like Voyagers, they're already in inner space. Like they've already reached that realm. They launched way early in the game, and they're outside of our like they've passed Pluto, I think, at this point. Yeah. So they're out there. Oh, um, question, and, but we're still Pluto, able to communicate. Or with isn't them. Pluto? I would like to think that Pluto is still a planet. I've always because that was the way I was raised. But you had all these setbacks. You had the '67 fire that 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 took away the the three Apollo astronauts: uh, Gus Grissom, Ed White, Roger Chaffee. Mm. Uh, you had the Challenger, of course, which yeah. for me that was one of those things right up there with the towers, as far as things in my lifetime that you're never you're always going to know where you were when that happened. Um, and then Columbia uh, in 2003 uh, on descent. Uh, coming in and, and breaking up and, and losing all the astronauts there. So there has been losses, but at the same time, when we take those losses, we rebound. And I like the fact that we're we're not, you know, we're not caving in, we're not giving up. Now, the shuttle program eventually went away, they, but they were making their way for something new. Now mm-hmm. the focus seems to be on Mars and what we can do to, you know, I don't know if we're really gonna truly going to inhabit yeah, it, yeah. but uh, I think the the bigger probabilities is probably, I can't remember if it was Jupiter or Saturn, one of the moons uh, on that looks more inhabitable than Mars does, yeah. but uh, trying to get out there is going to be another feat. But just getting to Mars in itself, um, and I think there's even been talk, the fact that they may have to like have a little uh, stop or way station on the moon in order to get to the point where they can get to Mars and everything. So it's going to be interesting in the setup and how things are going to eventually kind of happen, but I'm sure it's going to be one of those slow methodical things like what we saw Mm -hmm. with the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo buildup. But, you know, one of the things, too, that I like looking at, and I think it's just the fascination of space in general, and we probably have talked about this in the first episode as well, but just my fascination with the space and looking up at the stars is almost as fascinating as my my fascination with water. But yeah. but it's I mean you just look up and you you can feel especially in the south where you're away from city lights uh, and you can really take it yeah. all in and you just feel so small, and not I, insignificant but but you can tell yeah. we're just a small speck in this whole grand scheme of things. Yeah, and so uh, and I think that that's why we feel so compelled as people to spend time and energy trying to get out there because we can see it like we can look up and gaze and um and obviously we can go in the bible i mean look at jesus's birth and you got the magi who were like studying the stars right Right. so like for eternity we've been able to look up and ponder right and uh, sometimes that has driven people to find god right they look at this or maybe jesus yeah or literally yeah (laughs) literally find god so uh yeah it's 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 funny because like when i think about the space program i'm simultaneously incredibly impressed by how how far we've managed to come and and our kind of technology like i said to be able to land a rocket on a little floating dock in the middle of the ocean and like plan all that that's awesome right um they finally have touchscreen navigation in the shuttle or in the rocket i don't know if you saw that um, on the last launch i was excited to see um they're making a big to-do about modernizing the spacesuits because they look kind of lame um but uh what with purpose but looking at all of these things i'm so impressed by the there's so many intricacies and so many things that have to happen just right we look at these disasters and it's never like a big thing going wrong it's a couple of little things. Yeah, it's an O-ring. So, yeah. It's a tile. So you know. many things have to go perfectly for us to be able to execute it. It just really impresses me. 
And then, like I said, I'm simultaneously like blown away by how good we are. And then I'm also just mesmerized by how much we fail and how this creation that God has made constantly succeeds over and over again. And his design is way more intricate, you know, like all the things that we're trying to discover, it's not really, we shouldn't call it discover. We're trying to understand what God already made. (laughs) And so for, for us to be able to put people on the moon or beyond for us to be able to um, build these telescopes and use mirrors. And I still don't get how that works, but somehow we're able to figure out, see things that are like light years and light years and light years away. It's just really, really crazy. The the time travel aspect that throws me like looking through the Hubble telescope and the powerful as powerful as it is it's it's somehow it looks back in time or or it's i I can't describe it it's it's so weird that what you're seeing yeah that light that's just finally getting to us might have been from a star that extinguished you know a thousand years ago exactly or more um so yeah it's just it's crazy to me like i said i'm impressed by man's technology but it's it pales in comparison, and it is insignificant compared to the creative power of God. And and then what I do like, and what I really appreciate, and one of the things I was wanting to focus on on this show, this particular segment at least, was how uh, astronauts uh, or pe- you know people, anyone that's been in space so far has been affected by it, mm-hmm. uh, and and you can see it. And I and I read it in books. Um, you know their experiences with it was phenomenal. And, and the best one, and the one that really reached out to me, I was watching a documentary, and I want to say it was the Mission Control documentary um, that's out there. And they were building everything up. They were talking about the fact that, uh, I think this was in the same time frame where it was just after the assassination, assassination of Kennedy. It was a couple years after uh, prayer was taken out of schools mm. um, by this, uh, there was a, a woman that was in charge of this or, or, or over this atheist group that was getting prayer out of school. So are all these things going on in this turmoil uh, in the world, in the U.S. Uh, in particular? And then you've got Christmas Eve, 1968, and astronauts Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Berman all read from the book of Genesis as Apollo 8 orbits the moon. And what they were doing was they were coming around the dark side of the moon. They had lost contact um, just because of the yeah. the way things were going. And as they were making contact with NASA, and, and no one discussed this with Mission Control, they just did it. And what you see video-wise is them coming across the dark side of the moon and seeing the Earth again from their perspective and going into Genesis and the creation of the, of the world. Mm-hmm. And it was so awesome. I, I, I cannot—you're going to have to watch this movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you're going to see this and you're like, I see what he's talking about. It's phenomenal. And then, But you, you have moments like that, and there's many other moments. Actually, that woman that blocked— the uh, prayers in schools tried to ban NASA from using <laughs> religion, and, and the Supreme Court threw it away. Say, and so that was like, well, good for you, Supreme Court. <laughs> well, I have to say, one, I can totally understand uh, being mesmerized by God, the beauty of his creation. And I can only imagine that coming around the moon and you've been cut off. And there maybe is that, that glimmer of fear. Maybe there's that hint of like, well, if we just keep floating and never see it again, right? But... 
to come around and see that. Um, that's really, really awesome. Also, that's the only place I think it's okay to lose service. Right? I lose service <laughs> at my house. I, my dad loses service when I'm trying to talk to him on all his job sites, and it drives me crazy. you got satellites floating all around. Give me some service wherever I'm at. If, if, if there's nothing blocking it, it should have service. The moon in the way, I'm okay with that. Well, I tell you, the, <laughs> the other thing that Apollo 8 is most popular for, and I think I want to have this image at some point in time somewhere in my house, because just being the nerd that I am, uh, astronaut William Anders took Earthrise. Have you ever seen this photo where you have the the moon, uh, the surface of the moon, and then the Earth off yeah, in the yeah, distance? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So it's a very famous shot. And, and that was one of the ones where he said when he got the shot, he just knew, like, they, they all talk about this, like just being able to see things from God's perspective. Yeah. This is how God sees, you know, sometimes in some cases, this is how God sees the earth. You know, this is his view. And that's one of the things that always kind of gets to me as well. Um, and then you have the fact that, that not only did we have biblical, uh, uh, you know, terminology being used, uh, on the different missions and everything. Godspeed, I think, was used for God, uh, for uh, John Glenn. You yeah. know, the little subtle hints that they would throw out there. But you knew some of these guys were very religious, and then some gained religion after their experience of being in space and, and having that view. Um, Apollo 15, uh, mission commander uh, David Scott even left a Bible on the lunar rover. Now, I don't know if he left an entire I Bible. Say, I don't Gideon know. Guys get I know, everywhere. right? That's what I was thinking. It was the first thing I thought. I was like, "Well, this is the start." But, uh, but I think it may have been microfish because they they were talking about the fact that they had made uh, just because of the weight requirements and everything that were um, prohibited as far as you know how much things or how many things you could bring on board. Yeah, they had made a bunch of microfish of uh, of the Bible so that they could, and I think some of those actually came back, like some. They left at least one on the moon, but they brought some more back. One was even being auctioned off. But uh, And I think it was in honor of, and I want to say it was one of the astronauts that had passed away. Mm. Uh, for some reason, White comes to mind. But one of the guys that had passed away in the Apollo 1, his goal was to have a Bible brought with him in space or to the moon. Cool. Yeah. And since he wasn't able to do that, obviously they did that in honor of him. If you can't get hype about your Bible study when you're floating around outer space, then I don't, I don't know if you can, I don't know if. The Holy Spirit's wooing you enough. Well, here's how you take it up a notch. Here's the, you ready for it to be uh, taken up okay. a notch? How about being the first meal on the moon in communion? What? No, was it? It was. What? Uh, Buzz Aldrin, first person uh, on the command module after they had landed on the moon, and I'm sure it was a little bit after they had done all their walking and everything. But, uh, but yeah, he, he did it. Now, Armstrong didn't participate, but he witnessed it. Oh, boo. But, uh, but... <laughs> But he did it. So in 1969, first food eaten on the moon was sacrament. I wonder so. if it was, uh, you know, one of those iffy communion wafers. Because I know you got to be, they got to be careful with what food you bring in outer space. True. So I just wonder, you know, you, we've all been to those churches, and it's like, it's like, <laughs> um, I've seen, I've seen on Facebook recently, they've been called Jesus. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's but yeah, funny. you know, the little it looks like a paper plate. <laughs> so, uh, but now. Uh, that, so you only not only that that but you also have uh, three Catholic astronauts receive communion on okay. STS fifty nine in nineteen ninety four that was a shuttle and then Michael Hopkins received communion on the International Space Station in two thousand thirteen so we've hit all Very realms cool. yeah. that are out there for the most part um, 
That's and, very cool. And then one of the people who became a Christian while being in space was Charlie Duke, one of the astronauts and the lunar module pilot for Apollo 16. So he was in the lunar module. Imagine his view that he said uh, that he got to see, but yeah, he yeah. said he became a Christian after that, becoming mm-hmm. uh, just having that whole feeling and everything of, of what he saw and just it, it became and Jim Irwin of Apollo 15 became a preacher wow so you have all these instances where people have this like this feeling of elation and I think there was uh, actually a term in, in one of the books um, where I think it's called the overview effect and it's Arthur Frank Waite that's what it was uh, in 1987 he created the term the overview effect and he said people get this feeling while they're up in space and looking down. I guess they interviewed all the astronauts and everybody that's had all these experiences, and they just have yeah. this feeling of elation and, and you know, something inside where they see, you know, the, all this vastness and all this creation, there has to be something behind it. You have to start mm-hmm. believing the fact that there's a God that, that created all this. It's just different. I can imagine. Um, again, like you just imagine floating in space you're in this thing that you know like that other people have made so i don't know how much you trust it i mean obviously by the time that these astronauts get to space by the time they're in the international space station or wherever they're at you know they they know that so many brilliant people have had a part in making this happen um some of the most brilliant people like some of the most scientific minds that i know um work for nasa and um they are they just work on like the cameras but the level of knowledge that they have, the expertise that they have um, to be optic engineers and, and software for optics, like I, if I know that much attention is being done on just the cameras to show like when you see the cool videos of like um, the rocket, the different pieces breaking away and all mm-hmm. that as they kind of go out in the space. Um, if that much detail is being paid attention there, then you know that on the other stuff that matters, there's some super smart people. Well, and just look at the pictures that they're capturing from the Hubble Space Telescope. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, they had some issues of getting it all focused up, but they were able to correct it. And you see, I think there's one in particular, this uh, Helix Nebula that they took a picture of, and it's basically referred to as the Eye of God mm-hmm. because the way this formation is... Well, I mean, yeah, you just start looking through the all hand, the pictures. They, I've seen pictures of, like, the you know, the the hand of God and some of these things. And I know we talked about some of that last episode, but, um, it's just, it's just, it's just fascinating. Um, and again, the very, the very best of what we've created still falls like woefully short. I don't want to keep going back on that where I'm incredibly impressed by our achievements, but I want them to always be in perspective. Right. And that's what happens, right? You talk about that overview effect. It's, that's what it is. And all it is, is you finally have a real perspective and you look at the world and you just see the world like as one big thing. You don't see bored. Like when you look at the globe from outer space, see when we buy a globe, what do we see? We see all these lines. We see all these things that separate us. We we see we 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 have this idea of what these other people are in other nations and other areas. And and for us, there's all kinds of differentiating and division. But when God peers down, He just sees it as one whole Earth, and it's an Earth that He was willing to die for. It was an Earth that He was willing to die to save. And when He created this thing, He had a really good plan for it, and we screwed that plan up. Um, and so I imagine that once you finally are able to bust that perspective that we're all separate, you begin to realize like, okay, well, like I need to figure out what, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not going to be the same, you know, but I also don't think you would just be the same in general. Like I know every time I got on a regular airplane to fly anywhere, I'm saying my prayers. I'm like, all right, God, like, yeah, I don't like being above the clouds is weird. I don't think people realize the weather's always good up there. 
and and we're we're so used to like oh it's storming it's so ugly back here yeah but once you're above them it's just bright and sunny <laughs> i know right and ju- and it is it is kind of weird when you escape uh, and go through the clouds and come up and just see nothing but pillows <laughs> you know and it just gives you that sense of what heaven may be like you know that kind of thing uh i always get that little sense uh when i'm i, I guess it's like a little kid in me i want to look out the window all the time and i don't know i'm going to be the old man that's uh, in the retirement phase on the commercials who's wanting to point out neighborhoods and stuff like yeah, that but it yeah. is kind of neat coming down and 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 seeing everything from a different different point of view from what you normally get to see. Absolutely. So speaking of uh, being a kid, you know, one of the things I I wanted to do um, as we were kind of thinking about this episode is I wanted to play a little game and it's very simple. Um, I want you to listen to a sound that I'll play and I want you to, with your um, infinite space wisdom, um, try to guess or tell me what you think it is. You think you could do that? I think. Uh, we'll get going. Are you ready? Uh, sure. All right. We'll start off with an easy one. I think this one will be easy. Well, that was kind Houston of now controlling the flight of Atlantis. Yeah. So you get the space shuttle Atlantis. Wings one final time for the start of a sentimental journey into history. The start of the journey. Yes, that is a launch. That is a launch. Okay. That was too easy. This next Especially one. on the roll. If you'd have just cut it at roll, I think I still would have got it because they always have to roll as they come out on the uh, initial launch. I don't know what that means. Um, so what is this? Sounds as though it could be the Apollo. Yeah, I'm going to go with hopefully the Saturn V rocket. <laughs> it is not. It is not the Saturn V. Actually, I don't know that. Um, I'm going to tell you it's not because I wanted to hear your disappointment. Um, <laughs> NASA just calls it rockets. <laughs> well, it could be Saturn V. It's five rockets. Right. This one's a little different. You may have to play it a couple of times. Shuttle's got three, so. All right. Oh, that's the uh, shuttle landing. No, that is not a shuttle landing. I'm going to play it again. All right. Unless it's the escape uh, pod that comes down from the uh, the little track that's on the Apollos and yep. the Gemini and the uh, I think Mercury may have had one of those. Getting a little closer, better than my first guess, and I'll tell you what that is in a second. One more time, I'll give you one last chance. Mm. Nah, I don't know. If it's this not is, the emergency exit, then I don't know. <laughs> that is dropping a gear in space. So oh, really? One of the gears is being released. Interesting. Now, tell me if you think my guess was good. I thought this could have been like you know when you're on like a plane, you know they have, like they flush weird. I thought this could have be an outer space flush, but it's not. But listen again and tell me if you think it could have been. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't want to be on the receiving end of that on the earth. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, this is literally coming in hot. <laughs> oh, my. All right, and then this last one's uh, really fun, um, and this is uh, relatively recent, so I want you to uh, listen in and tell me what you think. It's from the 1980 video game. <laughs> Uh, missile command, Not or quite. asteroids. Not um, 
That one's tough because there's no sound in outer space. So I don't think it would be in outer space, but it has kind of that, maybe it's the operations inside the lunar module or something. This is the first recorded sounds from Mars. Oh, from Mars. From Mars. A little bit of wind. And a thunderstorm. Interesting. How cool is that? That is pretty cool. That is cool. So that was the, that one. That sound right there is the reason I wanted to play the game because I was like, <laughs> I want him to hear. I want to hear him hear the first sounds on Mars. Um, we talked about like perspective and being blown away. And for me, hearing sound like seeing it from a distance is different than like hearing it. And then when you hear it, you can kind of just close your eyes and be there. Very, very. Uh, interesting to me and all of those sounds and so so many more were available right from the nasa website you can click on nasa you can go to their uh they got a media page and you can literally just download really cool sounds they have so many like radio communications from these massive teams that they have um just really and and you know my love for nasa and their ability to have the best public affairs group ever i've i've Uh, heard as growing up as a kid in the 80s being the nerd that i am whenever it came time for science projects dioramas or whatever we had to put together um i was constantly writing letters to and i guess i may have just been keeping it simple and going to the space and rocket center i don't know if i was going straight to the nasa itself i have to go back and look but I would get correspondence, and, and what they would do is they were nice enough to send me, I think I had a diagram on Space Lab. That was one of the things they had sent me. Um, pictures of some of the STS, some of the shuttle crews, mm-hmm. uh, what was going on. And then uh, a bunch of documents, a bunch of documents that they would send me to help me with my science projects, uh, which I could use. And, and actually, I pulled up the box because I'm a pack rat. I kept all these things that I'd gotten from NASA, and I was able to apply it with my youngest son who had to do a project uh, on the Challenger because he was totally unaware of what went on with wow. the Space Shuttle Challenger. So we got to pull out, like I had the pins and I had the patches um, because we were following, you know, Krista McAuliffe, we were going to be taught from her uh, at school. So we had all these things. I had the STS crew, the official picture and, and all that. And we got to use that um, with his little diorama that he got to do. Yeah, I remember when y'all were, you were talking, I remember you talking into the group about you're working on that project because I told you then. I said, yes, like that is going to be out of this world. <laughs> that is going to be it. And that joke is pretty universal. Yeah, it works. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's, it's out of this world. Gift and a curse. Oh, it's all great. But, uh, and so I want to kind of end uh, the show on this note. And, and of all the things that I think I read, and, and, and yes, the communions, that was pretty cool. The, getting the Bibles to the moon. The fact, I think that Apollo 8 thing was probably one of the most touching things that I read about and got to hear and see. Yeah. Uh, just seeing that's going to change your perspective on some things when they when they're rolling. I just cannot describe that enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but out of the uh, book to touch the face of God, the sacred and profane, and the American space program, uh, this was written by Kendrick Oliver. Uh, I want to get this book now because it's talking about all the uh, the ins and outs of the space program and and what was going on. But one of the things that was mentioned in there uh, was. Uh, uh, it was, it was a quote because in Apollo 15, uh, James Irwin, one of the astronauts at the time, really wanted to do something related to like how Apollo 8 had done because that yeah. kind of touched him and how they were able to, to, to get some religion in yeah. on yeah. the cause. And he knew and he said that while he was on the moon, 
he felt God all around him. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things that he admitted to. Um, so I think the other astronauts weren't keen because they had, because of all the flack that had happened on the Apollo 8 uh, and, and the fact that they had done that Bible verse. He, uh, he went solo. He went rogue. And he did Psalm 121 uh, while being recorded and everything while he was out there, which was, I lift my mind eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. And that was his big thing that he got to contribute as far as pulling something from the Bible, which I thought was pretty cool. But just the fact that he felt like God was all around him the entire time while he was up there. Well, that's got what? a great so feeling. So the note you know? I just made when you said that is um, he was able to feel God all around him because he did not have to feel the pull of the world. Uh-huh. So gravity, yeah. but also the way that world constantly tries to pull us away from God. Like this creation wants us to love it more than we love the creator. And I think that's that's the tough thing. Like we were made to enjoy his creation with him. But this this creation is not what he had made it to be. And we can spend – one of the beautiful things about being created in his image is we are creative. Right, God is creative. Look at the skies. I mean, the universe is still expanding. The universe is always growing. We talked about His creativity in that regard. Men have, and and I say men like mankind, so men and women, um, have have been so creative in finding ways to get us as close as we can, and as close as we can is still so far away. Right, but it's still such a cool achievement. So. Um, and we're just barely scratching the surface when it comes to space exploration. That's the thing. There's so much out there that we have just, you see all those images from Hubble and you see how there's all these other universes out there. There's got to be, you know, one would, would have to think there's some life out there as well. Yep. And yeah. so we'll talk about um, maybe pondering the future of space and exploration. Um, we'll talk about that in the next episode. It'll kind of be a more potluck episode where we'll get to talk about some maybe some smaller topics related to space, but maybe that we couldn't spend a 40-minute episode on. And uh, yeah, but uh, we'll close. Um, I know you did the devotional for this week. And so uh, we'll, we'll close with that. And we look forward to seeing you guys next time. 1 Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, isn't it great to know that we all have a God-given talent? We see talent being used in so many ways with the space program. The astronauts have the background of being pilots, the ability to master flight, and the knowledge to learn the processes to prepare them for the unknown, not to mention the nerves to handle such a risky mission. And when you look at the engines of the Saturn V rockets, the lines, the mechanisms, and everything woven together to create thrust for the rocket to carry the astronauts outside the Earth's atmosphere, you can appreciate the amount of talent that was involved in engineering something like that. What's even better is it wasn't just done by one person. It was teams of people putting together their ideas and working the math to make the engines work. And then you look at the teams of people who did all the other numerous jobs involved in making these huge rockets lift into the heavens to allow man to set foot on the moon. Everyone coming together in a peaceful moment of togetherness. People around the world huddled in front of their TVs watching one of the greatest accomplishments by mankind. But man could not have done it without the God-given talent that everyone had. We can be that way at church. We can find our God-given talent. 
and we can find a way to help further the Word of God. To help in reaching out to people who may be lost, they too can find their talent to work in discipleship. All church members should be coming together to help lift up the church in all that it does to enhance our walk with God so that we can all find each other in heaven. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what is your God-given gift? How can you use it to help serve one another? And how can you be a good steward of God's grace?